Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Ain't it good to come in on Wednesday night and feel the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost? The Lord is so good. I tell Him often, I, I don't deserve His goodness and mercy. He's been so good to me, and I'm thankful for that today. God bless you. I know you've been standing. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Before I begin, I, I forgive me if I sound redundant, but... For every phone call, for every text, for, for every gift from the bottom of my heart. And on behalf of Jennifer, I say thank you. Thank you. God bless you. And we covet your prayers. Praise the Lord. Go with me tonight to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. If you're a note taker this evening, uh, sharpen your pencil. Because I've got a bunch of scripture. I'm going to kind of be all over the map. And with the help of the Holy Ghost, I hope we can tie this together. We're going to read this evening in our opening text from the book of Genesis, chapter 3. And then I'm also going to read from the book of Revelations, chapter 12. How, how many has ever been deceived? Oh, yeah. yeah. How many guilty of doing the deceiving no, don't don't raise your hand on that I, I shouldn't have done that praise the lord deception on whatever end you may find yourself is leaves you kind of with a bad taste in your mouth it's not something that you want to feel uh, and it's certainly not something that we want to do or to portray upon anyone young man was coming up the riverbank with a bucket of fish. And as he got to the top of the bank there in wait for him was the game warden. And he asked the young man if he had a license for those fish that he had in the bucket. And the young man said, no, sir, I don't have a license because these are my pet fish. And the game warden kindly asked him to explain what he was talking about, and he said, you see, every three or four times a week I come down here to this river and I take these fish that's in this bucket and I pour them out into the river. I allow them to swim around and play and, and just have a good time. And when it's time to go home, I simply whistle and call them by name and they come and they jump back into my bucket. And so the game warden, somewhat perplexed, he says, I've got to see this to believe this. And so they travel back down to the bank of the river and the gentleman pours the fish back into the river and they simply swim off. Some time passes and the game warden looks at the young man and he says, well, and the young man replies back, well, what? 
He said, are you going to call the fish back? And he looks at the game warden and says, what fish? You'll get it driving home. Deceived. Deceived. There's something about deception. And it can come so subtle and it can sneak up on us so easy. And that's why, especially in these last days, now more than ever, I want to tell you we got to guard our heart. we got to guard our mind because deception is at every turn. I don't care if you've been living for the Lord for 80 years. It would be the devil's pleasure to snatch you from the church, from the loving hands of God this very day. Genesis 3, chapter 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. If you'll move down to verse 13 with me. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me. That word translated there means trickery, to to mislead or to deceive. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And now if you'll go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Revelation, chapter 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So from the beginning of the book to the end of the book all in the middle of the book the devil is deceiving verse 10 says and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony And they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having a great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Traveling down I-75 or perhaps I-10 or any one of the interstates that you may find yourself on, oftentimes you'll see a sign that says caution. And perhaps it's telling you that the lane is about to end. You need to merge over. 
There may be a caution signs or perhaps some caution cones indicating that there's some construction ahead and that you need to, to be aware of this and pay attention. Those signs are put there in advance so that you can start preparing, so you can begin to start making decisions about what you're going to do, what your next move will do to, to position yourself not to be in any danger. In our spiritual lives, you and I have some signs and we, we have some warnings. We have warnings in the Bible that we hold in our hand tonight. And, that, and it gives us some signs that something is ahead. The Bible plainly tells us something is coming. The rapture is about to take place. Jesus is about to come back. And it's trying to get our attention. And so tonight, I'll be mindful of the time, but I want to preach to us for a little bit from this title, Caution, Deception Ahead. Father, I love you. I thank you for the spirit that I feel in this place. Thankful for the opportunity to partake in the word of God. And I'm thankful to stand behind this desk in front of these precious people. I'm asking tonight that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds. Whatever distraction may be against us tonight, I rebuke in the name of Jesus Christ. And I ask that the Holy Ghost would have its way and that it would impart into our lives and build and help strengthen and establish us and give us what we need in you tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. I want you to imagine this with me, if you will. Let's just pretend that we're, we're watching this from the sidelines or perhaps we're sitting in some bleachers. But I want to just lay out briefly a scene that what it might have looked like that day in the garden when Eve was taking her walk. She had woke up early was deciding to take a walk and the air was clear and brisk and the birds were singing to one another in the trees. And she stopped for a moment to pet a mama deer and her two babies. And she looked as the morning sun was beginning to sneak over the horizon, turning the morning sky into a symphony of brilliant colors. Oh, how she loved her life in the garden with Adam. As she was talking, she realized that she had walked into the middle of the garden and there, standing with great splendor and power, was that tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was a magnificent tree. Its limbs were broad and strong, stretching out into the garden, and it bare divine fruit on each limb. Suddenly, she perceived that she was not alone. And she turned and looked behind her and saw the serpent. And the serpent agreed with Eve that it was truly a magnificent tree. And then he began to entice her. And his shrewd words of deception seemed to roll so peacefully off of his tongue. Did God really say that you can't eat from this tree, Eve? You won't die. God just doesn't want you to eat because he wants to hold you back. He doesn't want you to be as wise as he is. So it's okay, Eve. You go ahead and take a bite. It won't hurt. And you know that you want to. And besides, Eve, you deserve it. You owe it to yourself. Look at all that you have done. You owe this to yourself. Think about this with me, if you will, as 
Eve pondered what this serpent had said to her, it began to seem more and more reasonable for her to partake of this fruit. As she reached her hand towards the fruit, a strange and eerie silence must have fell over the whole garden. It was as if the garden itself had to stop and take a deep breath in fear and unbelief about what was to take place. As Eve bit into the fruit, she experienced the full blunt of the blow. She suffered and stands as a testimony to this very day of the agony of deceit and the dangers of deceiving ourselves. Tragically tonight, we know that Satan's deception did not end in the garden on that day. It didn't end that day for Lot in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it didn't end with Jacob and Esau. And it continued on with Saul and King David. And it continued on with Absalom and Tamar. And sadly, I tell you tonight that it didn't end with Judas. No, ladies and gentlemen, the, this evening I tell you that the, the devil is still in the deceiving business. But even worse, even worse, what is happening in these last days is that Satan, the serpent, that dragon, he's still deceiving and he's deceiving born again children of God into thinking that it's okay to relax. It's okay to become a little careless with our Christianity. It's okay to take a back seat and kick our feet up. We deserve it. We've come a long way. We've been on this journey for a long time so it's okay to just take it easy and sometimes our pride keeps us from admitting our sins and our shortcomings and we won't allow ourselves to engage in some sort of self-examination. That's why Paul was so adamant to the Corinthian church. And in the second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, Paul admonished them to examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. It's not enough to hear God's word. We must live the word and we must obey the word. Many people have the mistaken idea that hearing a good sermon or being part of a good Bible study is what causes them or perhaps helps them receive good blessings from God and to grow in God. But it's not the hearing. It's the doing that brings the blessings of God. The Lord expects His people to be hearers and doers, not self-deceived bench warmers. It is a self-deluded man or a woman who thinks that they will get credit somehow for listening to the Word of God while doing nothing about it. A great danger is that too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. Let me say that again. There are a lot of people that mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. If you think you are spiritual because you hear the Word, you're deceiving yourself. James tells us there's a big difference between knowing God's Word, knowing God's word and living it. Spiritual self-deception can affect us in all areas of our lives. And what we must remember is that the goal or the purpose of hearing God's word is not mere information, but transformation. I've come with expectation tonight believing that this word will transform me. I'm thankful for the information that it gives me, but I'm here to be transformed. James said in chapter 1 and verse 22, 
But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. If you think about it, every second that we live is lived in the present. With each passing second, the past is only one second behind me and the future is only one second ahead of me. And as humans, this constantly feeds our curiosity. We can see the past, we can study it, we can learn from it, we can make efforts to correct the past so that it don't happen again in the future, but it's really our only way of changing the future. Since we're always living in the present, we are constantly left to wonder what lies around the next corner. What will I face tomorrow? What will I have to endure in this season of my life? We're left to speculate. We're left to predict. And it's in those times of speculating and predicting more than we prepare that it's easy to be deceived. Both Christians and non-Christians alike are are vulnerable to this curiosity. But where we differ is that we as Christians know the future, or at least we should. The Bible has been proven over and over to be 100% accurate. From prophets of the Old Testament that came from right on to the New Testament to archaeological facts proven throughout history, and yes, facts proven even into the future. You know, sometimes I... I'll watch a YouTube bit or some form of media platform and there'll be a scholar or, or somebody who is a lot smarter than me talking about how the world's going to end. And uh, I can't help but to chuckle a little bit when they talk about an asteroid hitting the earth or you know, some sort of solar problems or the latest and greatest is that global warming is going to destroy the earth. And they are somewhat right about that because there is coming a global warming because the Lord said he's going to burn it all up. And so it, it's coming. They're educated and they're very smart and, and I'm, I'm not being disrespectful of them tonight and they truly believe that their science and their study and that their facts that they think they have are accurate. But I can't help but to just wonder what would happen to their thinking. What would happen if they read the Bible and read the Bible with an open mind and allowed the Holy Ghost to speak into their hearts? I can assure you this evening of one thing I'm confident of. If they did read it in that fashion, they would know for sure who the Creator is and who the King of Kings is. Second Peter, in Second Peter chapter 3, and I won't read it for the sake of time this evening, but Peter is direct and to the point about what is going to take place in the last days. Right out of the gate, Peter lets the reader know some things. He urges us to remember a few things. And, and I admonish you tonight, if you're not familiar with this passage, make that a homework assignment. Read 2 Peter chapter 3. But, but Peter reminds us, he said, first of all, scoffers are going to come. You see, any time the Bible has made prediction, skeptics have been ready available. 
Even in the Old Testament, right on down to the New Testament and today. You talk about the Bible or the Word of God or or things that take place in the Bible, stand back and stand firm because there will be somebody who will denounce it or say that it ain't true or that this is some fairy tale that somebody dreamed up and wrote down on paper. But Peter says... To the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. God is eternal. Time is meaningless to Him. In eternity, there's no time, no no past, no future, only the present. You and I only think in time because we're finite. Peter affirms what Scripture had been saying. He said, Jesus will return soon as the end times unfold. You know, a lot of times people will, Ask the question soon. What exactly does soon mean? And sometimes you have to wonder if Jesus had a little secret meeting with the disciples and said, okay, when you're all right, I want you to use some catchy lingo and let's mess with people's minds a little bit about when soon will be. Because 2,000 years later, we obviously realize that soon didn't mean 20 years. And I want to tell you tonight, It could be 2,000 more. God doesn't measure time the way we measure time, but God measures time in patience, not with a watch. He wants as many as possible to get the chance to accept Him and to be born of the water and of the Spirit. When will Jesus return? When is He coming back? When He's good and ready and when He's been patient enough. Paul said, you know He's coming If you believe he's coming, live your lives of holiness and godliness. You know, it's kind of like when you were, you know, back in high school, it didn't happen often, but from time to time, my parents would go out of town and leave me at home to be the man of the house. And I could do whatever I wanted to, act however I wanted to act, but I knew one thing. That house better be like my mama left it when she got back. And that's what I'm talking about tonight. Have you, have you ever had company over for supper on Friday night? Nobody's ever had company. <laughs> Things are different when company comes over. Friday night, it looks a lot different than it did last night when we had supper. I might have had supper standing at the counter by the kitchen sink. I might have had supper sitting in the recliner. Sometimes I surprise Jenny and I tell her, supper's on me tonight. What you want? You got two choices, ramen noodles or potted meat. (laughs) But on Friday night, on Friday night when company's coming, uh, we know how to prepare. We, We know how to tidy up. We know how to eat off the fancy plates and we put away the McDonald's cups and brings out the real glasses to drink out of. And that's what I'm preaching about tonight. We've got to guard our hearts and our minds and we have to be preparing ourselves and looking our best because the king is coming. And he's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for a church that's kept his commandments. He's coming back for a people that's been washed by the blood, baptized in his name, and filled with the spirit of the Holy Ghost. Peter knew this. When, when Peter was pinning the words in chapter 3, he, he knew what Jesus was looking for in a Christian. 
So he leaves this big hair raising, this attention grabbing, life changing statement for the end of chapter 3. He said, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. At the conclusion of his sermon or the writing of this chapter comes one statement. He kind of wraps it up like a Christmas present and he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Now when you read that, we say grow in knowledge. So is that study the Hebrew? Is that learn the Greek? Is that get a degree in theology? And that's okay, I'm not preaching against that. There's nothing wrong with educating yourself, but that's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about knowing Jesus. At the end of the day, when we lay our head down, can we lay down with peace knowing, knowing without a doubt for certain I have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we can't emphatically answer yes to that tonight, I would say that we do need to do some self-examination and some, some soul searching. The opposite of ignorance in the spiritual realm is not knowledge. It's obedience, biblically. To know is to do. Both are connected. They're like peas in a pod. If you know what to do, you're required to do it. I heard an old preacher one time say that if you're not going to live for the Lord, you'd have been better off to never know nothing of this way. Because if you know the truth and don't live the truth, the word of God says, woe be unto you. And when we are obeying the word of God, we are guarding ourselves and we are putting on armor against deception because deception is at every turn. Study your Bible? Yes. Memorize scripture? Absolutely. Get a great understanding about the doctrines of this faith? Yes. But truly doing that will lead to action. Living it. That's what Peter was talking about. Living this way. Walking this way. Talking this way. That's what most of the New Testament is about. It's about living every day like Jesus Christ is in you, like Jesus Christ is walking in you. I've heard my pastor say before a, a good example or a good model to follow. Before I join a conversation, I want to ask myself, would Jesus join this conversation with me? Before I watch something, I want to ask myself, would Jesus sit down here and watch this with me? Before I enter into a place, I want to ask myself, would Jesus walk into this place with me? I'll ask us three questions tonight. Do you have a spiritual goal? What are you aiming at? And how are you pushing yourself? You don't get in shape by talking about it. Look at me. I talk about it a lot and I'm obviously not in shape. You don't get in shape by reading a book about it. You don't get in shape by listening to somebody who is in shape. Talk about it. If you're going to get in shape, you've got to do it. You've got to push yourself to do it. I don't mean to be critical tonight, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but hear me, the problem in our apostolic movement today is that most Christians aim at nothing, and they hit it every time. Growing in the grace of Jesus will take a lifetime 
Just because you're busy in the church doesn't mean you're growing. There's no secret formula. Spiritual growth is simply matching your practice with your position in Jesus Christ. Now let me go back to my opening text and and just for a little bit, I'll ask for a little bit of leadway here because I know at this particular time that the disposition of grace was not in place. But, but bear with me and I hope to tie this together. Adam and Eve are living in the garden and they're enjoying the blessings of God. They're living their day-to-day lives and they're, they're doing the best they can and all that they can for God. And they are trying to grow in grace, if you will. And sometimes growing in grace can get monotonous. It shouldn't. It was never intended to. But you and I live in the real world. And it's life. And there's some things to deal with in this life. Eve begins to have a conversation with the serpent. Let me pause there and just say this. There is no place in our lives for the conversation with the devil. I I hear people sometimes, and it, it causes me to shudder, will make statements like, I was talking with the devil the other day and I was telling him, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no business talking to the devil unless I'm rebuking him or telling him to get behind me. I'm not going to give the devil any lead way to have a conversation with me. And and be aware, I'm sure you are, but the devil is not always going to come at you as the obvious serpent or the dragon or the roaring lion. Sometimes the devil will try to talk to you through a TV. Sometimes the devil will try to talk to you through your computer screen or an iPad or a smartphone. And I'm not preaching against any of these. But I'm saying the devil will come at you at any angle he thinks he can cause you to trip stumble or fall and that's why it's so important now more than ever I know I've said it once but let me say it again we've got to guard our heart and our mind it would be the devil's pleasure to destroy our minds and we've got to guard them let me get back to Adam and Eve personally I don't believe that Eve set out on that day to disobey God God had given them instruction and warning and And I believe that she was trying her best to follow them. She just got caught up in the moment and got deceived by the serpent. The caution signs were there, set there by God. The warnings were there, placed by God. But sometimes life happens. In this life, you and I are given caution signs. We're we're giving warning signs. And those come not only in the form of the Word of God, but sometimes they come through the Holy Ghost speaking to us. And we hear the voice of the Lord telling us to, to guard ourselves. And never before has the church seen an hour like we're living in today. I do believe that this is the greatest hour to be a part of the church, even in the midst of all the chaos and the wickedness taking place in our world. You know, I I sometimes, uh, I I think about some crazy things, but I'll tell you something I think about often. How bad must it have been in the days of Noah for God to be so angry that he would destroy his whole creation? How bad must Sodom and Gomorrah have been for God to be so completely disgusted that he would burn it up. 
I look at this world that we're living in today and the wickedness that, that surrounds us, and I say, my Lord, how much more will the Lord tolerate? How much more will he take? But even in the midst of all of this, I believe that God is ready to show out and do something miraculous. I, I believe, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe those that have gone on before us, and I say this respectfully, those that have gone on before us would envy us today to be in this position, to be a part of this church, to have an opportunity where I believe we're about to see the greatest revival that the world has ever seen. And we're here. We're going to be able to be a part of it. But it, we cannot allow ourselves to get sidetracked. I, I, I completely understand. Hear me. And please don't leave here saying I said something different than this. I completely understand the precautions that were necessary in this pandemic that we have had to take. But I will tell you, it has been the devil's pleasure and hell has been laughing horrendously to see what the church has had to endure and what the churches have to go through. And let me say this, this, and I'm not preaching doom and gloom, but this may not be the very last time we see this. That's why we, you cannot live on Sunday morning and Wednesday night religion. we got to have ourselves prepared for whatever may come our way to be prepared. And we've been given a warning that in this last days that we need to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Paul said in one of his writings, I have finished my course. He said we're pressed on every side but troubles, but we're not crushed and we're not broken. Paul said we're perplexed, but we don't give up, we don't quit. He said I'm hunted down, but God never abandoned me. We get knocked down, but we get up again and we keep going. I know I know there are times when all of us feel overcome by the problems that we face in day-to-day -day life and feel like quitting. I've been there. You've been there. And it's not a very good feeling. Feeling like everything and everyone is against you and they're determined to see you fail. Nothing seems to go right. And the harder you try, the worse things seem to get. You just want to give up and you want to go crawl in a hole somewhere and die. The devil is setting pitfalls and trouble for us and there's deception everywhere we turn. The danger is that it will happen so subtle. It sneaks up on you before you know it. All the caution signs were there. All the warning signs were there. But I just got so caught up in life. I got so distracted. There was things coming at me that I, that I wasn't prepared for. You're, you're never going to see a scenario where someone was full of the Holy Ghost on Sunday and then backslides on Monday. It, hap it happens subtle. But along the way, there'll be warnings. There'll, there'll be some signs. There'll be some cautions. And everyone in this room, if you have not faced that yet, you better brace yourself because you will face it. And you're going to have the opportunity to acknowledge the caution, to acknowledge the warning. And the question will be, what will we do about it? Because it comes in so easy.
I'm talking about this afternoon paying attention because deception is everywhere. It's everywhere we turn. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Several years ago, uh, probably many, much as I don't see Brother Toby, but he, he can collaborate this story for me. Probably six or seven years ago, maybe. Me and Brother Toby was on a job together that required some soil fumigation. He was putting a fumigant-type material into the soil with a piece of equipment. And uh, it required two people to handle the material uh, because the material had the ability to knock you out. So if it you became unconscious, you needed another individual there to help you away from the situation. So we had to take some tests and some training and, and uh, some online courses. And then we had to travel up to, to Tifton, Georgia, to a lab, a facility there. And uh, because when handling this product, you had to wear a gas mask. But you had to be sure that your senses, uh, that you had all of your senses, because if you had a leak in your mask and you didn't have your senses, it could cause some permanent damage. So they placed this uh, kind of a big hood or a hat over you, covered your whole head and down over your shoulders, and there was a, a little valve sticking out in this this young lady would attach something to that valve, and Toby, he, he went first, and, and she injected the stuff in there, and Toby said, yeah, I smell it. Yeah, I taste it. And she said, okay, you, you're good then. You, you, you can be fit for a mask, and if your mask leaks, you're going to know it, and you're going to know to get away from the area. She put the mask or the, the, the top over on me, and I look at her, I look at Toby, I look at her, I look at Toby. I said, Toby, what am I supposed to smell? And he said, well, it's going to smell a little cinnamon, cinnamon and taste a little cinnamon. The lady looked at me and says, you don't smell nothing? I said, try it one more time. And she tried it again, and I licked my lips and said, I, I do taste a little bit of cinnamon. But it was then that I discovered that I was losing my smell. And I, I hadn't known it before, and I'm sure it just didn't go out that day, but just subtly kind of creeped into my life that I'm having trouble smelling. And so time passes by, and today I can smell nothing. And the worst thing about that, about not being able to smell, is walking into my mother's house on Sunday afternoon when she's frying cube steak and I can't smell it. But so easy, so subtle. And now today I find myself not being able to smell. Sometimes it's a good thing. Several, I don't know, weeks, maybe months back, we're in the kitchen, we're talking. My Uncle Larry has the, he, my Uncle Larry has the same problem. He can't smell. My mother's washing dishes, and we're just kind of joking tongue-in-cheek about it. But she said something that stuck with me. She said, you and Larry better be careful, because if the house caught on fire in the middle of the night, you'd burn up. I thought about that. I said, Jesus is coming back. 
And if I'm not careful, so subtly the enemy can slip into my life. And he can use tactics and snares that I could never imagine to deceive me. And if I'm not guarding myself, if I'm not paying attention, if I'm not aware, if I'm not aware and cautious of the deception, I hate to be blunt tonight, but at the end, I'm going to burn in an eternal flame. Would you stand with me across this house? We have to be able to recognize when something is not right. Everybody in this house has your, your own little way of knowing when you walk into your home if something's been moved, if, if something's not right, if perhaps you have a cleaning lady, then she, she moved this little knick-knack over here and it really belongs there. Our spiritual life is no different. Each and every one of us know, hey, some, something's, I'm a little off. I need to examine myself. Paul said, examine yourselves. And we need to recognize that at every, and I'm not, again, please don't think I've come to you tonight to preach doom and gloom. But I have come to sound a clarion call and a warning that it would be the devil's desire to destroy you and your family and to destroy this church. And it's incumbent upon us to be aware of our surroundings. Not live in fear. Please don't misunderstand me tonight. We have no reason to fear because he promised us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And he said, I'll always... Always make a way of escape. I love you tonight, and I'm thankful for your attentiveness. Would you lift your hands across this house, and, and let's take a few moments to e examine ourselves and ask the Lord, Lord, am I where I need to be with you? Lord, am I in right line with you? Is my heart right? Is my mind right? I ask you tonight, Lord, to guard me and watch over me, Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.